The following program is a podcast1.com production. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our web address, Clark.com, coming up in 20 minutes. I want to tell you about a change going on at Wells Fargo is they continue to be a regular contributor to the Clark Rages moment and coming up in a half hour. If you have a claim under your health insurance and it is denied and you get one of those statements that says, we paid this, you have to pay that, what do you do when they're wrong and you're having to pay money you don't owe? I'm going to tell you what you need to know to protect your wallet. Speaking of which, this is the time of year our wallets get picked when we do our income tax, and there's something that you may faintly be aware of, but you've never really put it into use in your life. If you start working on your taxes, you use tax software or use a preparer, and you find out what your tax liability is going to be, if you own your own business, you can retroactively reduce your tax bill that you're having to pay now for earnings last year by setting up a SEP. A SEP is a simplified employee pension. It's basically a turbocharged IRA with a lot more flexibility than you have with an IRA. And so you can set one up where... The beauty of it, the paperwork takes about, oh, about a minute and a half to fill out. You can use any of the ultra-low-cost companies to have your SEP with, and you can choose each year, once you set up a SEP, as a someone with self-employed income, like even if you have a part-time gig in addition to your full-time job, you can reduce the income tax you owe by with that part-time gig, or if you get 1099 money for something, you can reduce your tax liability by doing one of these SEPs. And you're allowed to, depending on the income you have, anywhere from $0 on up to beyond $50,000 can be sheltered in a SEP, which instantly becomes basically just an IRA. But instead of with the normal IRA limit of 5500 the limit can be roughly almost as much as 10 times that. Very easy to establish, very easy to fund if you have the resources. And you get the immediate benefit of a significant reduction in the tax you might have to pay or that you owe overall for your return. Another thing I want you to know is that If you are using tax prep software and it starts to feel like hieroglyphics to you, you're not really understanding where what it's asking you, where it's leading, there's the chance that you'll end up overpaying your tax or that you'll mess up your return. And what I would ask you to do at that point, if you're a real do-it-yourselfer, try another software package. If you meet the income limits... You can go to irs.gov and click on free file and you have a bunch of tax preparation software you can use for free and use to file for free. 
So if you try one and you're like, I'm just not getting this, try another. If you find you're beating your, your head against the wall and you're just not feeling good about it, that's when you hire somebody to do your taxes. And if you are a small business owner, you'll likely find you're best served by an enrolled agent or a CPA who does tax. I know I've talked a lot earlier this tax season about all the ways you can file your taxes for free. I talked about the thing Credit Karma is doing with their new creditkarmatax.com for free filing regardless of income. But the more complicated your situation, the more it pays to pay for tax prep because the money a professional may save you or help you prevent liabilities that you weren't even aware of. Peter's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Peter. Hello, Clark. So how can I be of service to you, Peter? I was contacted a few years ago by a friend who's in the real estate business, and he was talking to me about self-directed IRAs. I had never heard of them before this. So I followed up with a company he recommended who set up the necessary paperwork for the IRS. And I was quoted between fifteen dollars to $2,000, which makes me shy away from it. I'd like to know if it's at all practical for someone like myself to successfully set up a legal self-directed IRA. No. Okay, then. Because it's not legal. You must have the custodial arrangement. And when you do an IRA vehicle that allows you to hold active real estate, the rules are, there are just tons of rules. And so you have to pay one of these firms to do that for you. And it is common that it'll be a few thousand dollars. I see. So there's no way around that. No way around that. However, I will tell you, if you had called me with a different question, am I excited by the idea of you owning real estate inside an IRA? I would tell you I'm not excited by that. Okay. And the reason is, is that you owning investment real estate has special tax advantages under the tax code. You're allowed very liberal depreciation of the property, and you get special tax benefits for the improvements you do to the property. And when you ultimately down the road sell it, you're taxed at uh, favorable capital gains tax rates, where when you own real estate inside an IRA, when you ultimately withdraw money from the IRA, you're taxed at much higher ordinary income tax rates. So the people who benefit from owning real estate inside an IRA are people who have no available cash, know that there's a real opportunity to own a piece of real estate that they've identified and they, they know because of whatever the special factors are for them that they're going to make a nice return on it and they're going to miss it because they don't have any cash but they've got a big pile in an IRA and so they use the IRA money to own the real estate. That's why that would be a reason to do it. I was leaning more towards investing in uh, home mortgages on the private market. Wow. Now you're getting esoteric. Um, why wouldn't you do that with your own funds instead of doing that inside an IRA? 
mostly because the majority of my savings are tied up in an IRA. Okay. So that is, when you're holding private mortgages, that is a high-risk, potentially high-return kind of thing. Right. The reason people are getting private mortgages is usually because they can't qualify for a traditional mortgage, either guaranteed by Fannie or Freddie or issued by a credit union or a bank. And so when you get into that kind of thing, it is a higher risk kind of thing. Are you are you not worried about that part at all? Well, I'm really not a big fan of the stock market, having watched everything depreciate or drop in half its value in the last five or six years. Now, it's back, of course, but I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to stay where it is now. Well, you know, I'm a believer, just like you want to try this venture and you would put your money at risk expecting that if you choose wisely whose mortgages you would invest in that over time it would get you a nice return that makes you an investor in your own business essentially Mm -hmm. and when you own parts of the stock market over time you're benefiting from many individual decisions and company decisions to take risk and create reward I'm a believer that the stock market over time is really just a substitute for you doing your own venture and taking your own risk, but your money's more diversified. The risks won't be as great and the rewards won't be as great potentially at either extreme is what you could do with your own venture. But I do have a fundamental belief in stock markets over time, not in the short while, but in the long term. Well, having heard that, I, I feel better having not touched anything I had in the stock market over the last 10 years because it wrote out everything. And, and do you know, from, from the trough forward, your money went up 250% if you were well diversified yeah. over a five-year period. Now, likely, it's going to get ugly for a while. and then But then it'll get pretty again, and we don't know when ugly turns to pretty And that's why you have to keep your eye on the target, the goal, which is building wealth over time. Right. So I'm I'm a long-term, diversified, buy-and-hold kind of guy. I am, uh, you know, I always tell people I'm the dullest man in radio, and I also am dull in how I invest. My wife calls me the turtle, slow and steady. That's what wins. That that's my thing. I'm not into flash. I'm into having cash. And I believe you do it by being methodical and building over time. But uh, you have to do the choice that feels right to you, whatever that might be, Peter. And I wouldn't want to disagree with you going and owning the private mortgages if that's what you really want to do. Joel, we have time for a Ask Clark. Sandy wrote in, she says, I, I live alone and need a new alarm system with monitoring, but which one is the most reliable and cost efficient? The way you find reliability is you want the monitoring to be done by a UL approved monitoring station, which has no relation to what you pay per month for monitoring. Monitoring costs uh, from many providers will come in around 15 a month. You shouldn't pay more than uh, high teens for monitoring. And as long as you're following that thing, you know, UL, like the people that approve a lamp, make sure a lamp is safe. 
They also have a standard for burglar alarm monitoring stations. And if you think you can do things yourself, look at our link on ClarkHoward.com for Simply Safe. S I M P L I Safe.com. Clark, this is from Brittany. She says, Is it beneficial to buy down points when purchasing a brand new home? And if so, how many points should I buy down? Almost never is it a good idea to buy down points. If you pay a point, that is 1% of the amount of money you're borrowing. What a buy-down does is it gets you a lower mortgage rate, depending on the offer, either for a period of time and then the rate will step up, or it keeps the rate lower for the life of the loan. Historically, people buying a first home don't stay in it an exceedingly long number of years. Once upon a time, when people bought a home, that was the home they stayed in their whole lives. That isn't how it plays anymore. The time period it takes for that to pay back is almost always longer than the typical time period that someone will stay in a home. So my key math rule is closing costs, points, anything like that. If you can make up that cost in 30 months or less, do it. Otherwise, don't accept a higher rate and keep the money in your pocket. This is hard to believe, but by my count, this is the sixth time we have devoted the Clark Rage to the practices of Wells Fargo Bank. What I'm about to tell you, if you are a customer of Wells Fargo, will make it really clear to you that you better be certain that you trust the people you're dealing with or it's time for you to hightail it out of Wells Fargo handling any of your business. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a clark moment. Okay, it's now come out that Wells Fargo had the fix on to make sure that no internal auditors ever found out about all the illegal activity going on in Wells Fargo branches. The false accounts being opened, the identity theft involved with it, the forgery that was involved. Over 2 million accounts apparently created that cost people their credit standing, cost people money. So (laughs) this is hard to believe. Wells Fargo had a system in place where every branch was tipped off ahead of time, at least 24 hours in advance, that the auditors were coming in to see if the branch was clean. So the branches had time to put in place full cover-up to keep the investigative internal investigative units from coming in and finding any of the dirty practices, the illegal activities going on in the branches. It tells you the rot in the culture at Wells Fargo went deep and went to the highest levels. It continues to enrage me that no managers at Wells Fargo, no, actually it's the executives that should really pay, no executives have had to do the perp walk. No executives have been indicted. No executives facing time behind bars. And what message does that send when people can engage in criminal activity for what seems to be a roughly eight-year period that was widespread throughout the bank, and nobody, 
nobody who committed reverse bank robbery, committed identity theft, and harmed 2 million people that nobody is being held to account. So I want you to think about it. If you do business with Wells Fargo, please watch them like a hawk if you want to stay there. And be aware, one story I read recently was so fun. It took product by product category at Wells Fargo, and there wasn't a single product line that Wells Fargo offered that they were anywhere other than a mediocre product. There was not a single thing they did that was the best in that part of banking. The best they did in any category was in the middle of the heap. Why would you do business with someone who's been so dishonest, crooked for so long, and doesn't even give you a good deal? You know, if you're looking to buy paper towels or a can of beans, knowing what other people paid for them isn't really that important. Paper towels, it's beans. But for a big purchase, like a car, that kind of information isn't just helpful, it's essential. Well, with TrueCar, you can do just that. You see, TrueCar lets you see what other people in your area paid for the car that you're looking to buy, which will help you determine a fair price. And the best part? You can work directly with a TrueCar certified dealer to establish a fair price before you even show up on the lot. Yeah, that's right. TrueCar certified dealers have all the same information you do and are just there to help you get the car you want while offering you a faster, easier buying experience. Who doesn't want that? And knowing what others have paid has helped TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy that car, there's only one place to go. Visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. You can get it at TrueCar.com or the super easy to use TrueCar app. Some features not available in all states. I'm glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show. It's about your empowerment through knowledge that helps you save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our web address, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Have you ever taken the time to really look through an explanation of benefits and EOB? It's the form if you have health insurance, either your own individual policy or one through an employer. When you get it after you've received care from a doctor, lab, whatever, hospital stay, you get this explanation of benefits, and it's very, very hard to follow. Uh, You know, build at, plan pays, negotiated amount, blah, 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 patient pays. And there will be times where the column that says plan pays will show zero. And then you look over to the right, and the full amount is being billed to you. And many times it could be because the provider you went to didn't code right. You know, insurers pay based on the codes that are submitted by the practice you go to. And it could be just as simple as they put the wrong number there. And so the insurer is like, oh, that's not covered, and declines it. The thing I never want you to do when you're being hit with a balance bill is just say, okay, I'm going to pay it. 
because more often than not, what has been denied or declined is something you are covered for under your health insurance plan. And it's up to you to be your own advocate. Nobody else is going to advocate for you. So it's important for you to ask and ask and ask and push and push and push. Financial columnist David Lazarus with the LA Times found that there was a study that he reported on that 50% of the time that you appeal a denial of payment, it's paid after you appeal. 5-0. shot. Now, who knows that the other 50%, how many of those really are things that were truly not covered by your plan? But the important thing for you to know is that if you just roll over and take it, you may well be paying money that you don't owe. At the same time, when there is a balance bill, you can't ignore it because the provider will ruin your credit. So you're the one that has to take charge and do it quickly. The quicker that you get in the process of getting in the weeds of the details and figuring out what you're supposed to pay and what you're not supposed to pay is so important because the more time that passes, the less way you have, the less leeway you have to get it documented with whoever the provider was, maybe that the coding was wrong or whatever or that it was medically necessary. So when you get that denial of payment, within 48 hours, I want you all over it. Because whose money is it? It's your money. Lynn is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm excellent. Lynn, you have a question for me that is so rare... It's amazing. Okay. What is it? Well, I am 63 years old and retired. And I'm wondering if it would be more beneficial for me to pay cash for a car or to make payments on a car. Well, the interest rates on car loans right now, if you go to a credit union, are extremely low. A lot of credit unions are writing car loans as low as 1.5% to, at the high end, for people with good credit scores, about 2.5%. But if you're sitting with a lot of cash hanging out, your cash isn't even earning 1%. And so paying cash for a car and being done with it, in my book, is just fine. Let me ask you this. Yes. If you were to pay cash for this car, would it leave you with enough cash for daily needs and an emergency situations too? Yes. If it would, just write that check and be done with it. Okay. However, do not tell the car dealer when you're negotiating the purchase of a car that you're going to pay cash because generally the car dealers make more money on the car loan than they do on the sale of the car. So if they know that you're not going to finance, you spill that up front, 
Uh-huh. They're likely not to make as good a deal for you on the purchase of the car. Ah. Well, that's good information. My other um, concern was um, I only have one line of credit, and I'm wondering if um, this is just a part beat of the question. Um, is that enough? No. I, I would one? like you to have, uh, I call it the Noah's Ark rule, a okay. minimum two credit cards. Oh. So what I would recommend if you only have, is the line you have a credit card or a home equity line, or what is it? It's a credit card. I want you to get one more credit card from a different issuer from who issues the card you have now. Okay. And so having two cards helps protect you. It improves how you look in your credit score mix, which ironically enough in most states directly affects what you pay for auto insurance for the car you're looking to buy. Ah. So, okay, that's, that's another good piece of information. And how much time do you spend online? Oh, probably, I mean, it's not for business, it's for pleasure, so probably maybe 30 minutes a day. Okay, so you're a, you're a routine web user. The reason I was yeah. asking that is that whatever vehicle you buy, particularly if you buy new, you will do much better in the buying process doing everything online. Okay. That that you do everything for purchasing your car online, and the only thing you do at the dealer is you take delivery. Okay. And at ClarkHoward.com, I have step-by-step how to buy a car online, the strategies for doing so, which will save you a lot of hassle and potentially thousands of dollars. Catherine's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? I'm good. Catherine, how can I be of service? Well, I really don't have a question. I just wanted to say thanks. I've listened to you for about six years off and on over that period of time. And one of the things that I did remember just by listening was that... um, Everybody, everybody, not just me, but everybody should pull their credit history up from annualcreditreport.com like every year. Just pull it and see what's on it. And then if things aren't matching what you think, you you know, if things are on it that shouldn't be on it, you go and you dispute it. Well, I never had that issue, had a problem with any of those until all of a sudden just I went to a company I had to have, um, they had to pull my credit report and there was, and, it, and my number was low, and I was like, what's going on here? So I went to creditkarma.com, found out my, what was on it that was not supposed to be on it, and um, I disputed it. And I was so surprised it worked. <laughs> How neat. So the thing that ended up on your report, Catherine, was it, was it like a late pay or a collection or credit that it wasn't was a, yours? It was a collection or? I didn't even recognize. And I even called the people, and I said, hey, what is this? And they couldn't even tell me where it came from, because it was a collection they didn't know. So I just, I just, I just um, disputed it with um, TransUnion. Yes. And, it, and, and they deleted it off my report, well, and my score went up. <laughs> that's fantastic. And so just by doing basic homework on your credit, Mm-hmm. You have been able to take control and protect yourself. Yes, and I just I thank you because I would never not known to do that. In the fu- and now in the future, I'll just keep doing that. And 
That was great. I was just like, I got this from Clark Howard. This is great. Wonderful information. <laughs> well, I am so glad, and I love your enthusiasm. Well, I just, I just want to, I'm getting, I'm not, I'm not young, I'm getting older, and I know that it's just a matter of time, and I don't need to leave the work industry and then all of a sudden have a bad credit score. I want it to be good, and because when I get older, I won't be in the workforce, so I just need good credit when I am sitting down and getting out of the the workforce, so to speak. Well, what I love is that you stood up for yourself, you knew how to do it, and you got that collection agency that had falsely put an item that wasn't about you on your credit report. You got that cleaned up. And for that, you should be proud because so many people are so frustrated when something ends up on their credit that's not theirs and they're beating their head against a wall. You knew the tools. And I want to repeat them, Catherine, for others. If you go to annualcreditreport.com, once each year for free, you can see your credit reports. You go to Credit Karma, K-A-R-M-A dot com. You can see your credit score pretty much at will. And you also can see your credit report, one version of it, pretty much whenever you want as well, for free. The more you learn, the more you know, the more in control you are, and you're living proof. Congratulations. Joel, we have a brief moment here. Why don't we do an Ask Clark? All right, Clark. Babette wrote in. She said, Clark, when is the best time to buy a new television? (laughs) When you want it. (laughs) Because TVs never stop going down in price. The reason? Pretty much everybody who wants a flat screen television has one. We're in the midst also of the transformation or transition into 4K that are four times the resolution of today's best flat-screen, high-def televisions. And so the TVs that are current technology have become a commodity and are being heavily discounted. What the manufacturers have done is they've gone to three brands, most of them, with the TV, the guts, being pretty much the same with each brand. But they'll have a 60-inch with their premium brand, 60-inch with their mid-price brand, 60-inch with their uh, deep discount brand or white label brand. And again, the guts are pretty much the same. The cabinets may be fancier with the premium one. The remote may have more buttons on it on the fanciest one. There may be just another feature or two, but they're basically the same picture, same TV. So if you want... A time, remember, they always get cheaper. The technology keeps improving, but probably nothing will beat the 10-day period right around Thanksgiving. Elizabeth is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Elizabeth. You have a husband who wants you to get more knowledgeable about what? Well, he's, he's, since we've been married, he's always been the one who's handled investment. And I think he's gotten really kind of frustrated because things haven't been panning out for him lately. And he seems to think that he sends me articles saying women are better investors. He seems to think I could do a better job. But one, I don't really know anything about it. I shouldn't even say don't really because I know absolutely nothing. And I don't really, he's always taking care of it. So I've never really cared to learn more. 
and now I feel like I need to do my part to help him out and maybe help alleviate some of the frustration. Maybe I can just, sometimes maybe it's just talking about it. I need to know is there something I can take or do, I mean, some type of class I can take or something I can do to help maybe alleviate his his stress or what, you know, something I can do to help. Well, I love your questions because women and men, what was the book, uh, Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, men are from Mars. With investing, that's true too. Women tend to be far too conservative with investing. And men tend to be way too aggressive with investing. So it's not at all uncommon, woman or man, for people to not be interested in, be bored by, or be intimidated by anything with investing. So I'm going to do something for you right now. You ready? Okay. We're going to have, uh, first I need to do something very impolite. I need to ask your age. I'm 45. Okay, perfect. All right, so you got plenty of time to build up significant money for the future if you put your mind to it. All right, so I'm going to do a very short seminar in what you need to know about investing. Okay. Rule number one. You've got to save a significant portion of what you make each and every month. Nothing else matters if you don't do rule number one. Okay. And so what is a substantial amount of money? If you and your husband are way behind on saving money for the future, you need to not necessarily right away, but in the next few years, get to where you're saving somewhere between 15 and 20 cents of each dollar you make. You sure are silent right now. Well, I'm right in this. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, next thing he's, is he's really good about saving money. So I right? know. I mean, and we've got three kids, and they're all teen. one of them's in college, and two are on the way. Okay, two so you've got a lot of things pulling at you every different way. We do. So I'm just kind of. I know right. he saves, but so let me tell you the the big thing about investing. The most important thing is that you do it regularly and routinely. Paycheck by paycheck, month by month, the money goes in. Doesn't matter what the news is in the world. Doesn't matter if the market goes up or down. You just do it month after month. Okay. And then the last thing is that if investing bores you, intimidates you, it's just not an interest to you, then you turn on an automatic thing called a target retirement fund, where all you do is you put your money in the target retirement fund in your case, for year 2035, okay, based on your age, and you let the managers of the fund automatically adjust what they put the money in based on your age. Okay. And so if you do those things, you know everything you need to know about investing right there. Okay. And at Clark.com, I explain in a little more detail what I just told you. Do not feel intimidated. Do not feel like you don't need to be involved. Your husband's begging you to participate, and he's right. Both partners in a marriage need to have at least some sense about how to save for retirement, how to get it done. Okay, you want to keep your favorite podcasts like this one free to download, right? Well, then all you have to do is complete a short, anonymous survey, which takes less than five minutes. Just go to podcastone.com slash my survey to answer the questions. You can also get there by clicking the banner at podcastone.com.
If you've done this in the past, we'd like to thank you, but we do need you to do it again because we want to make sure we're giving you what you want. That's podcastone.com slash my survey or click the banner at podcastone.com. It's so great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and empowerment through knowledge that allows you to take more control of your wallet, your financial future. My goal to help you keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. What I'm about is all about giving you information, giving you knowledge, so that you can take more control of your life. That's why I do this. I try every single day that I walk into this studio to give the best answers I can and best info and information for every single time that I take a question or address a topic. But there are times you'll feel like I've come up short, I've failed, or I'm just thick in the head. And that's why we have Clark Stinks. It's a forum at Clark.com where you can go on there and let me know where I've come up short. And Go read what people have posted on Clark Stinks, where they feel that I'm not doing the job I should be doing. See if you agree, disagree, whatever. And once a week, Krista, our producer, goes on the posts on Clark Stinks, and then we share them with you right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. We're going to start off with one, um, not really saying you're stinking, but wanting to hear from you on the fiduciary rule. Please speak to recent changes made by executive order rescinding changes I have heard you speak in favor of, mainly that financial advisors be required to work in the best interests of their clients instead of their own. So I actually, I did talk about the fiduciary rule earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was earlier this week. And... My thing about this is that all the conversation about the fiduciary rule has made it something that people are now aware of in much larger numbers than before. Most people had no idea till all this fuss started about the fiduciary rule that most of the people out there peddling insurance and financial products are actually legally allowed today to work against your best interests. Only someone who is a fiduciary is legally required to do what's best for you. Like at uh, the full commission stock brokerages, they peddle the products that they're pushed to by their branch managers or the home office, whether they're good for you or not. And with insurance, you think about the annuity sector, how annuities overwhelmingly significantly harm you and your future, but they're pushed so heavily and the agents that sell them are under no requirement to do what's best for you. Because if they were required legally to do what was best for you, they would never be able to sell you all the trash annuities or things like variable universal life and all that junk. And so what I want you to know is regardless of what happens in Washington with requiring people to do what's in your best interest or not. Know that 
more and more people out there are doing the right thing and taking on the responsibility of being a fiduciary, doing the right thing for you. So all you need to do when you're looking to hire somebody to help you with your finances is the very first step you want to see in writing from that individual that he or she is a fiduciary. If they're not, you're done. You want to go find somebody who is a fiduciary. Just because somebody is a fiduciary doesn't mean they're going to be someone who you mesh with personality-wise or that they're good at what they do. That's why you have to interview a number of people. But you call the herd and stick strictly to people who are fiduciaries. And we have links at Clark.com how you can find people who are fiduciaries to represent you with your interests always coming first. Clark, you stink when you give too many recommendations. You recommended a hearing aid, in quotes, from a sporting goods store, then from MD Hearing, then I then from IHearMedical.com. What's a guy to do? I got the most expensive one Cabela's had. It was unsatisfactory. Well, I'm glad you posted about that. And on our show two days ago, I gave an update again on hearing devices. And the reason that I've been talking about this so much is that 25% of American adults have significant hearing loss. And so this is an area where a lot of people are being undertreated for it, or people are, um, let's say they're self-conscious about wearing any kind of hearing device, or they can't afford traditional hearing aids that typically will set you back over $4,000 for a pair And that's why I talk about the trial and error of trying different devices that are not true hearing aids. There's, I forget what the federal term is for it, that you're allowed to buy these devices that are hearing aids and everything but name only. Well, it's crucial for tech users to understand the need for proper security and good discipline when using computers, tablets, phones, etc. The time for third-party security software with Windows has passed. While a vast Symantec and others, Symantec, I always say that wrong, and others have provided some great resources in the past, it's becoming too common that they're causing some really big problems, including breaking of the security links and opening gaping holes into device and network security. Even Google security experts are advising that it's best to use Microsoft's Defender products for the best protection without breaking Windows' built-in protections. And they gave you a link to check out that advice. Yeah, I appreciate that. This was something that came up about two months ago as well from a security expert saying that if you're still using a Windows computer, that the Microsoft security updates are the best out there, and they're free. Now, Microsoft is also coming out with a new line of computers mimicking the Chromebooks, because Chromebooks are the go-to now if you want to avoid viruses. Chromebooks are considered to be uh, almost like the Fort Knox of computing in terms of security, and they're ultra-cheap, and so Microsoft is following that path. Apple has become more exposed to viruses on their MacBooks because they're more popular than they used to be, and criminals go after the devices that people have in such large numbers. And do not let your guard down. If you're using a MacBook, you also stand the risk 
of viruses attacking you. Sorry, Clark. I just heard your rebuttal to the politics threads. That was from last week's Clark Stinks. And was saddened to see that you doubled down. The argument of free movement of people is a great idea in a perfect world, but we aren't to a point yet in society where human nature allows this. You have even argued in the past that government need, that the government needs master keys to encryption to spy on all of us to make us safer. And then you contradict yourself by saying that your libertarian principles mandate a belief that people should be allowed unchecked movement. Wow. I'm sorry to say this was the last Clark Howard podcast I will listen to after many years. I guess you're not going to hear my response then. I'm, I'm really sorry for offending you on my feelings about the free movement of goods and people. And it is not a popular position right now here in the United States or in many other countries around the world. I am an ardent free trader. And I believe that the world ends up a safer place when you allow for uh, free trade. And I also believe that, obviously, we have to have secure borders, but that movement of people around the world is an important part of preserving peace in the world as well. The more we understand about each other, the better off we are. And I feel terrible that my feelings on that have made you turn away from what we do on this show and our mission about your wallet. But it's just true. I am so much in favor of free trade that to stay silent on that feels like malpractice on my part. Clark, you're a well-traveled man, but apparently you haven't been to D.C. in a while. You suggested to the lady visiting D.C. with her daughter... And she should use the metro to get around. The metro system is falling apart with occasional fireworks and not nearly as fast or cheap as it once was. With the price increases over the past few years, Uber and Lyft are now competitively priced when two or more people travel. Love the show and keep up the great work, Brian. I thought that was going to be Gary, my brother, who lived in (laughs) D.C. for five years, who did both the metro. They got rid of their cars after a short while in D.C., And they did a combination of Metro, Uber, Lyft, and was it Zipcar? And so the thing I talked about with Metro is that if you're not experienced in Washington, being near a Metro stop makes it pretty easy to orient yourself and get around. But Uber and Lyft do a great job in D.C. Just during traffic times, the Metro is quicker than Uber or Lyft. Buying too much car. Clark, you should update your lecture to consumers about buying too much car. I believe this is something from uh, a year ago. It's not that people are tricking out their cars. It's that banks are arbitrarily deciding not to lend money on cars they deem too old, even if the loan is less than the value. These aren't junkers. I'm talking 2004 to 2010 used vehicles with well under 100,000 miles. The bank would rather you buy a newer vehicle at tens of thousands more, which oftentimes means that the payment is within a hundred or so dollars of new car financing. It's no wonder that they elect to try and bite the bullet and buy a newer the newer car. Banks need to relax a little and let people get a decent enough car without buying brand new. So the alternative is to go to a credit union. Yeah, because credit unions, by their very culture, want their members out of debt, not in debt. Banks, on the other hand, 
make their money by getting you to go into debt as heavily as possible and for as long as imaginable. Clark had a young caller asking about putting money into a Roth IRA or saving it for a construction business he wants to start. Clark made an exception and told the caller to save the money for his eventual business. Clark, P.U., don't you always tell parents to save in the Roth IRA money, save in a Roth IRA the money that they want to save for their children's college costs and withdraw the contributions tax and penalty free if and when it is needed? The case is even more of a reason to this case is even more of a reason to do that. College is almost uncer- an almost uncertain an almost certainty. The young man starting a business has much smaller chance that he will end up doing that. Life happens and he may end up getting a great job offer or get married or move somewhere else. If he does end up starting his construction business, he could withdraw money from his Roth IRA tax and penalty free. Oh, good. A cool breeze just swept away that horrible odor I smelt. Keep up the great work you you and your team do. That is great advice. And I should have said that when I was talking to that caller. FICO scores and credit karma. I give up. I've had more than a little trouble getting into credit karma. I've frozen credit, as you suggest. I can't initiate a ticket with them. Your offline support didn't really understand because they said it was new that credit freeze was an issue with them. I think I figured out that I have to completely lift the freeze to use all of their services, including tax preparation. Is that right? That is right. With uh, As an example, you know, my credit's been frozen for ever since Credit Freeze started, and to establish my account with Credit Karma and be able to have access at my fingertips to my credit scores whenever I want and the other free services Credit Karma offers, I had to thaw my credit, set up my Credit Karma account, and then let my credit freeze again. So I had to pay to thaw and then freeze two of my credit reports. So it cost me In my state, it's $3 a report to thaw. In many other states, once your credit's frozen, it's free to thaw. So it cost me $6 to set up my credit karma. I appreciate all your posts. Again, if I have annoyed you, upset you, or you feel I've misguided you, I want you to go to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and let me know how I can do a better job serving you. Deanna has a question for us about going to Sweden. Is that right? Yes. I have a question. We're going to Sweden and uh, Finland. And we were just wondering the best way to get our money exchanged. Well, there's only one good way in most of the world, and especially in Western Europe, and that is by using a credit card for transactions and when you need cash, an ATM card. Never. Right, we ex- do not have an ATM card. So, how soon are you going? Tomorrow. Okay, you're not going to get an ATM card by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Wish you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, Deanna. Okay, so um, what you want to do then is in um, in each country. Are you going to be in Stockholm and Helsinki? Yes, those are the two main right. cities. Yeah. So in either city, you want to go to a big bank in the central city of Stockholm and the central city of Helsinki and change money, but change as little as possible, like maybe the equivalent of a hundred or so dollars, because most everywhere you go, you're going to be able to use your credit card 
in Sweden and in Finland. I'm thinking back, uh, the last time I was in both, I've been in both in the last just few years, mm-hmm. and I, I use credit cards for almost everything, very much okay. like here. All right. Are they, do they take American Express readily or not? American Express, they take um, Visa and MasterCard are more readily accepted okay. than American okay. Express in Europe. But, yes, a lot of tourist-oriented places will take American Express. But with your cards, you've got time today. I want you to Mm -hmm. call your credit card issuers and find out what their foreign currency transaction fee is. Okay. They must disclose it to you now because of a court case. And so you may have one card that charges none. You may have another that charges 5%, another that charges 1% or 2%. You want to do as much of your purchasing in both countries on the card, obviously, that has the lowest foreign currency transaction fee. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Glad you've joined us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. Don't let anybody ever rip you off. We serve you at Clark.com. You want deals? ClarkDeals.com. You got questions? Clark.com slash ask. I have an obsession with standing. I'm standing right now bringing you the radio show. I always stand to do the show. I work at a standing desk. I have a treadmill desk. A standing desk and treadmill desk are next to each other. I work at the standing desk, I read at the treadmill desk, and I've really bought into this thing that we're healthier, and I find I'm more focused if I'm standing and have more energy if I'm standing or with the treadmill desk I'm walking than I do if I'm sitting on my rear end. I do not like sitting. And so for me, there's a built-in bias with, I guess it could be called nearly an obsession, with the movement towards standing desks. But the problem is the standing desk thing has been heavily a corporate thing, and the desk manufacturers making standing desks are charging ridiculous thousands of dollars for them. But just the other day, Amazon's clearance site, Woot, W-O-O-T dot com, really signaled where this stuff is going. They had adjustable standing desks 
for $299. And I don't know if you've heard of the one that is geared towards kids. I don't know how you pronounce this. Jayswig? J-A-S-W-I-G? Dot com? The kids standing desk is $299. You want an adult one? It's still pretty pricey for the adult one, $449. But I think about <laughs> my elementary school son's class, and the kids, they can't sit still anyway. I mean, they're always bouncing around in their chairs. And I think you'd have a better focus with the kids if they were standing. That was what brought about, from what I'm looking at this website, the Jayswig or Jazzwig or whatever, J-A-S-W-I-G, their thing is about how great it is for school kids and having them actually in schools as an alternative to a traditional desk. But I want you to think about it if you're living a very sedentary lifestyle, you know, you are potentially causing a shortening of your lifespan and worse health. And so if you would consider even experimenting with one of the things that you can put on your desk that are really cheap, that like, um, I remember I bought one that I didn't like very much. It was $39 for a thing that went on the desk that's a normal height desk that people sit at that makes it kind of like a poor man's standing desk. And we're going to see more and more of this kind of thing. My standing desk was one that Costco sold, not at um, the current furniture event, but they sold at their last one for $449, which was electric and actually very nice looking. So you can automatically adjust the height of it depending on the height of the person at it or what task they're doing at the desk. So think about it. There are places of work now that are giving people the choice between being at a traditional sitting desk or a standing desk. And we, Joel, have we ever put pictures up of our director of our off-air center, our Team Clark Center, who improvised her own standing desk no we need to because it is ripe for making fun of i think and it costs it's nothing no it's, it is hilarious and what did it cost Kevin, nothing. It was nothing right she got like some milk, cardboard boxes or milk, milk crates cartons, milk crates and uh like some wood slats that she sets her laptop on and then like a big piece of styrofoam that she put her actual monitor on it's Really funny. We need to post a picture of that. We should, because Lori, you know, spends too much on everything and then turns around and spends nothing on the on her improvised standing desk. Let's take a picture, pop it at Clark.com. Okay? All right. Let's do it. AJ is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, AJ. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good, thank you. You are a brainiac? Um, how so? <laughs> You're on a full-ride scholarship to graduate school? Yes. See, in my book, that would make you a brainiac. Well, it's it's just through a master's degree, so, I mean, as far as that goes. Now, is this something you accomplish because of 
your academic success as an undergraduate and your uh, your scores for your graduate school admission test? I- yeah, that's that's pretty much what it was. I, I qualified for a graduate tuition scholarship, and I was considered a high tier candidate, which ended up I got full full awards for it. So that's full tuition. Wow. Now I'm going to confess something to you, AJ. Mm-hmm. I never got scholarshiped on anything. <laughs> I was not exactly an academic superstar. Like well, it, look, it looks like you turned out pretty okay to me. <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> how can I help you? So, well, my question, tuition's taken care of, and that's great. Um, I've still been offered through the FAFSA. I've been offered about $20,000 in loans. And... I'm wondering, should I take that in order to help pay for, like, living expenses and things like that? Mainly, I don't need to take it, frankly, because what I have in the bank will be enough to cover living expenses, travel expenses, and I'll still have a good cushion. But for the credit's sake, does it make sense to take any of that? Or So you have no credit at all? I, I've, I've had a credit card for three years. Oh, good. You don't need it then for the credit's sake. You'd be better off getting another credit card. Okay. And with the graduate loans you're eligible for, it's not a free ride on interest till you graduate. Interest accrues while you're in school, does it not? These are okay. unsubsidized graduate school loans? Yes, that's what it is. And the interest rate underlying is 7.9%, if I remember. Um, what I see here is 6.8, but okay. that could have... Okay. <laughs> so 6.8, maybe you're right that it comes under the 6.8. But the thing is, no reason for you to pay that if you've got the the resources and you scholarshiped out. I would rather see you just go apply for another credit card, get a second credit card. Those two credit cards will help you build fine credit, and you won't have done it at a cost of 6.8%. Okay. And I am so jealous. Because <laughs> when I went through graduate school, I had to work full time and go to graduate school at night. And I was fortunate that I worked for an employer that paid my tuition as long as oh, I got a B in a course. Okay. And I was so afraid I wouldn't get a B that my first semester in graduate school, I got a 3 9. Oh, wow. <laughs> Then once I realized I could do the work, I slipped back into my, my B status. Just, just, just get through it, right? I did. I did. Okay. But, but uh, congratulations to you, because I really am impressed. You don't well, hear you a lot much. of people anymore who get a free ride for graduate school. That is something you should have great pride in. Denny is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Denny. How are you? Hey, real good. Uh, I got a question for you. It's about my wife. She's a federal employee, and she just retired. And she uh, she has, in her TSP, she has $250,000. Uh, well, not- well, first, when you see her again, tell her how great that is and congratulate her. Because okay, that meant right, she was... right here with me. We listen to you every day, and we're kind of like, we just don't know what to do. Um. We don't know um, how to make it last because we don't really... She had it in the G Fund for the last five years. We just don't feel good about the stock market. And we've talked to some advisor, and he's he's talked about a fixed annuity. No, 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 
<laughs> okay. You see, that made me really not happy, right, Denny? Uh, uh, yeah, right. Well, okay. See, we, we, we just don't know what to do. We're- All right, well, let's talk this through. So if your wife was a federal employee for a zillion years and has this money and is retired, she also gets a federal employee retirement. Right. It's How- very little. Is right it? No- it's not enough for- to carry you forward living? What percent of your living expenses can you cover from whatever you earn and what she has from the employee retiree pension? Probably cover all of it. I have a pension and I'm still working. Oh, so if you don't need the money. Well, we don't need the money right now, no. Right, so your real need for the money is longevity. Right. Way down the road, making sure that you have enough money to live on much later in life. Yeah. Right, so... Believe it or not, her best option is to leave money in the TSP as a retiree. Just leave it there. How old's your wife? She's uh, 58. Okay, so she doesn't even have to take a penny of that till 12 years from now. Right. And so the best course of action is to leave that money alone and let it grow. Okay, even if, if it's in the G fund? All right, now, okay, let's talk about the G fund. All right. All right, so I didn't say anything about that up front. Right. Because you said you were nervous about the stock market and all that. But, you right. know, if you look back, and she had been in the life cycle fund the last five years, right? she would have had impressive growth of her money. Right. Because this is money that you don't need at this stage of your life, and you may go... Uh, gosh, a whole nother maybe 20 years, if even then, n- to need to draw the money other than what you're required to do starting 12 years from now. Right. Being in the life cycle fund, at least in part, would be a very valuable choice for you to make. Okay. So you, if you left, if you diversified and you had some money, the whole idea of the life cycle fund is you go all in on it. But because right. that makes you so nervous, you could leave some of it in the G fund and the rest in the diversified life cycle fund. Because at 58, it's going to be pretty conservatively invested anyway. But there is no need. In fact, there's every reason not to pull that money out of the TSP. Oh, okay. And uh, leave it much, in. How much should we uh, put in this life cycle? If it were me, I'm not you. If it were me, I would go 100% in life cycle. But you can't do that because of your nervousness about right. the stock market. So if you did, if you did half and half, where right. half was in the G and the other half in the life cycle fund. Okay. For people who are not familiar with the government program, I should point out, Denny, that the life cycle fund is like... Um, a targeted retirement fund for other people in, oh, okay. in non-governmental jobs. And okay. so it is It is a very well-thought-out plan. And the beauty for your wife is the TSP has, like, the lowest cost of any retirement plan on the planet. Okay. It's a great, great, great plan. And I would think it would be a good use for the two of you to sit down with a fee-only financial planner who okay. is the opposite world 
of who you sat down with who was a high commission salesperson for an insurance right. company. And I've got recommendations for two organizations at Clark.com that you can contact and find local fee-only planners. You can call people and, and see who sounds good to you on the phone that you go sit down with and get guidance and advice. But the most important thing for both of you is you don't touch that TSP for the next 12 years, other than changing the investment choices. Machi is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you? Thanks uh, for taking my call. Um, my like pleasure. Show. Thank you. I have a question. Um, I'm trying to find the way I could finance my third property. My, my One of my properties is paid off. I have um, the property that I'm actually uh, living right now, in, and it's slightly underwater. And so I've been thinking about investing in the bigger house, either, you know, the house that I could actually move into or maybe some type of investment property. Okay, so if you buy a property that you're going to live in, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you because as I followed what you said, you have one property that's investment that's owned free and clear. You have your principal home that you're upside down in, and then you're looking at buying a third property. If you buy it as an investment property, you're going to need, uh, the standards have gotten a little looser now. You might need 25% down, where just even months ago, you would need 30% down in order to finance it as an investment property. Also, on an investment property, you'll pay about a half percent higher as an interest rate with maybe a higher credit score required to qualify. With a principal home, if you buy a a new home as where you intend to live, then it's much, much easier for you to get financed. And the down payment required is much lower. Credit score required is lower. Uh, The whole thing is, and the interest rate will be lower. So it's all easier. I'm concerned about you if you buy a third property as an investment property, being upside down on your principal residence, how that would be looked at by a lender. Can you tell me how much equity is the rental property? Like, what would that one be worth, the one you own free and clear? What would it be worth if you were to sell that one? Around sixty-five. The home that you live in, what do you owe on it versus what it's worth? I own 140 and it's owned probably around 100. Okay. Maybe so, 110. Okay. So you're upside down, but not a horrendous amount on it. So you, you still are equity positive on the two properties, but not heavily equity positive. So I would say that you're going to do much better if you go, as I, my initial guess, towards buying a principal home and financing it than trying to do a rental. I mean, you can later convert it to a rental property, and then the beauty is you keep the low interest rate that you locked in on it for the life of the loan. True. Would you recommend 15 years or or 30 years? If you can handle the payment on a 15-year, there has never been a time that I can recall, I don't think there's ever been a time, that the advantage of a 15-year over a 30 was as strong as it is right now. Based on everything you told me, buy that home to live in it, at least for a while. 
Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. The Forbes interview just hit featuring the king of podcasting, Adam Carolla. And we just launched the Forbes Under 30 podcast, where we talk to young entrepreneurs, hosted by me, Steve Goldblum. It's interesting because when you're a creator, that never leaves you. You always have this urge to want to create. That's Martellus Bennett, the Super Bowl-bound tight end of the New England Patriots, our first guest. Tune in and hear more about all his creative endeavors. Subscribe to Forbes Under 30 on iTunes now, and be sure to give it a rating and a review. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd I'd never really come across them in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, they never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like, kept themselves to themselves, and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.